and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. We're going to be uh, going to be talking to farmers from around the country today on a Farmer Friday. We've gotten a lot of questions that have come in too this week and we're going to try to, to get through every one of them here in the Ag PhD mailbag as well. It'll be a busy show, Brian. Do you want to dive into the mailbag or you have any quick comments first? Well, my comments are rarely quick, but I would just say I'm thinking right now on our own farm about two things. In corn, we want to get a bunch of fungicide out, as well as some insecticide and a few other things all in one application. But it's also time to get the last shot on beans. (laughs) Unfortunately, we have some really small beans, and we still have a few beans that we don't even have planted yet. I mean, granted, it's just a handful of acres. It's no big deal, but we will get them planted. But anyway, my point is there's a lot going on, and I would just really encourage every farmer out there, be scouting. Be scouting on a very regular basis. You don't know what you're going to find unless you actually get out in the field. Every year's a little bit different. Just think about the weather this year. It's different than maybe most years for your farm. So you might have different weeds, different insects, different diseases, um, different problems with your crop. So go take a look at it. There is still time to fix a lot of these things, to improve a lot of these things. The crop's worth a lot of money this year, so you don't want to miss out. All right, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, first uh, comment here comes from Dave. He said, uh, you were recently talking about rotational grazing. I loved it. Way to go. Uh, More livestock and hay segments like this would be nice. You know, we do end up talking about hay quite a bit, it seems like. I, I don't know that we necessarily talk about livestock as much, but but uh, we do end up talking about well, hay. We get a lot of weed control questions and also just how do we improve production out there, which uh, oftentimes comes back to fertility. Yeah, I, I mean, it all ties in together. And it's, it's kind of like the same thing with human health. Ultimately, so we're agronomists, and we talk about crops here on the show. And if we do a better job with those crops, if we can make them healthier – just more nutritious, then what do you think happens with the livestock? So, you know, we we spend, I feel like, an inordinate amount of time talking about the secondary and micronutrients especially, probably because nobody else talks about them, but it's all NPK is all you ever want to hear from a fertilizer dealer, but there's so many other nutrients that are tremendously important. And if you don't believe that, look at your livestock, look at your rations. Do you have any supplements that you need in there? If you have extra supplements that are needed on your farm, well, chances are your soil is lacking in those if you're feeding the crops that was raised on your soil. And it's oftentimes much less expensive to go treat that soil. And then you get a better yield, so it pays off there. Then you have healthier livestock. So, yeah, it all ties back. And I I would say it's the same thing really with human health. You know, we talk so much about, I mean, with human health and, and people needing vitamins and everything else. Well, how about if we as farmers really focus on raising even more nutritious crops than we already do. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we do a bad job. I think we do a phenomenal job as farmers. But as we continue to improve that, then the food that people are going to eat is even healthier. It's just like Darren and I work with a lot of farmers on seed production for soybeans. And we advise them on, hey, what do you need to do? Well, if you have 
all these things taken care of, you've done a much better job on the fertility side. You, you, did, you took care of drainage. You spray for disease a couple times. You have the bugs under control. Weeds are under control very early. You find that overall you have better yield, but the other things are you have better seed quality. You have bigger seed that is then more vigorous. And what do you think happens next year? Even, I mean, it's the exact same variety, but one seed grower, that variety does better the next year when it's planted versus somebody who didn't follow all those steps. So ultimately, that's what seed companies are looking for because they want to go out, take the same variety and beat the other company. Even though the genetics are the same, who cares? If you did a better job raising a more nutritious crop the year before, guess what? You've got better seed that next year. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, got one from from Rob, and he said, I've got a nutrient deficiency, or at least it looks like that, showing up in my corn. I'm curious what you think it might be, if it'd be sulfur or manganese, and also how do you tell the difference? Thanks for the black and white picture, Darren. Well, you're going to uh, love this one, Brian. How about oh. that one? <laughs> Another black and white picture. Yeah, I don't know why when they, they printed these out for us. So, Yes, we get your emails in electronically, and we do look at them electronically. But just to make sure that we we touch on everything that we wanted to during the show, we've got pieces of paper here. Well, when they printed this, they printed it in black and white. Uh, you know, I don't know. We have some of this exact same striping going on on our farm in certain spots. I don't like it either. My guess is zinc. It very well could be sulfur or another mic or a micronutrient. The thing is, when you see yellowing on the upper leaves of the plant, it is a non-mobile nutrient in the plant. So in other words, the lower in the plant, it might have enough sulfur or boron or zinc. But as the plant grows, since that nutrient is non-mobile, it can't move to the upper leaves. It, you can't rob it out of one leaf to another. On the other hand, you've got nitrogen, sol or nitrogen potassium, and phosphorus. And with those nutrients, they are mobile in the plant. So that's why you see yellowing on the lower leaves of the plant when you have nitrogen or potassium deficiencies and purpling on the lower leaves of the plant when you have phosphorus. Because if the plant runs short on any of those three nutrients, it does rob it from the lower leaves, brings it to the new growth. So anyway, I know we're looking at a sulfur or micronutrient deficiency here. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure which one. I would do some plant tissue analysis to figure that out. And the, the best way to do that is take some of the plants with the leaves like that versus some of the plants that have nice green coloring and just compare those two. But I'm guessing it's zinc. Could be sulfur, though. Yep, could also be manganese. Uh, yes. It's, just, it's hard to tell from uh, just seeing striping on leaves. We do see that a lot of times out in fields, so it's something to just spend like you say, Brian, 40 bucks. You can send in a couple different tissue samples and find out for sure which one. Maybe it's both. Who knows? Uh, we're going to get back to, uh, to more of your calls and questions right after this. Stay tuned. Ideal for herbicide applications, the Ultra Low Drift's large air inducted droplets were designed to eliminate driftable fines without sacrificing coverage. Its thick three-dimensional pattern creates multiple angles for the spray to cover the target. Hypro, helping you spray better. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. 
When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your corn everything it needs to get the job done this season. At SideDress, adding agro-liquid nutrients to your nitrogen can economically and efficiently boost potential. It's not too late to supply the nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, and boron your corn needs to reach top yields. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your corn. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, and uh, you know it's uh, it's going to be an interesting day. We're going to be busy because we've got a lot of questions that have come into the Ag PhD mailbag. But of course, if uh, if you've got a question, you can send one into radio at agphd.com, and uh, and we'll give you our our agronomic advice. Also, if you uh, if you call like Luke has done in North Central Oklahoma, we'll get right to it. So, Luke, how are you doing today? I'm well, and yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. So, are you at a point where you're harvesting wheat and putting in some soybeans, or where where are you at on your farm? Well, right now we're watching it rain, but uh, <laughs> we're down to cutting mud holes and uh, well, uh, and planting beans. We're about halfway done with getting beans in the ground, so the rain's welcome on some of the drier ground, but we're still fighting some mud on some some sand ground so. yeah it's been the story of 2019 hasn't it uh, just just been a challenge getting stuff in at times here so these beans that are going back in what do you plant are you planting group fours or, or what do you plant at this time of year well we typically go early fours to mid fours but uh i'm pretty stoked about the uh, enlist beans this year um i talked with glenn hers on some uh some e-beans e and uh so we're going to run some on some some farms we definitely got palmer issues where we can run a good start rate of ester and, and amine on it you know ahead of time to get everything cleaned up so um seems like the the d products work better than the dicamba products on the pigweeds so yeah it's it's interesting you know as we travel around the country we hear some areas guys are excited about one technology uh, other areas guys are excited about the different one and uh what what matters to me is we have options. I'm just excited that, that now we have more tools in the tool belt because, you know, you think about double crop beans, uh, it, Palmer pigweed's going to be pretty tough to fight because we're right in the middle of the summer here and that stuff's growing so fast. You, you got to have some residual options out there and, and you got to be able to kill the ones that are up. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, excited, excited that you're doing that. How, uh, how's the wheat running? Has the wheat been good? Yeah, the uh, the wheat behind double crop beans last year is uh, is not great. Um, you know, anywhere from 
mid twenties to mid forties, you know, depending upon how good a stand we got. But uh, the wheat um, that is uh, that was full season, or that did that was fallow the year before, it's been anywhere from sixty to ninety. So for our climate, that's a pretty fair crop. So yeah, yeah, it's well, okay. So when you look at those differences, what what do you see? What was the big thing that that made the the yield jump? Well, a lot of it was the planting time, and you know we uh, I've been trying to watch those guys um, down. Uh, in New Zealand and the, the high yield wheat guys, and they all time talk about timing, not and not necessarily the population, but I mean that does play a factor. But uh, most of our wheat that is low yielding like that was planted the first of December, you know, last November because bean harvest laid out, you know, extended out. But the um, the guys that got the wheat in prior to the rains there, the first part of October, uh, towards the end of September, the ideal planting time. Um, that's where you're seeing the 80 to 90 bushel bump. Um, and some of it, I think we had a lot that we were short in fertility on, just, you know, it didn't mineralize, it didn't have time, um, and didn't have a high enough level out there to carry a, a, a big wheat crop, you know, running to a year like that. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, two months of difference in planting sure makes a difference. We're seeing that, too, with a lot of the crops going in this year where guys have been delayed with, with moisture. Uh, the conditions at planting have made such a difference too just sometimes there's little windows that we see oh boy if you did anything this particular week it was a disaster but if you just waited till the next week it was much better but how do you know you, you just don't know so you just play the play the odds like you're talking about you got wet holes that you're trying to get out yet uh, getting some crap planted back into those spots might be a challenge too well but on the other end of that in the past we haven't used like the dominance two that's in the hefty complete and this year um you know we're going on those e-beans with the hefty complete and we've seen when we use that fungicide uh treatment uh in those wet areas it seems like we have any, any we go from like a 25 to 30 percent germ rate to almost a 90 percent it's insane wow. how much difference that changes just by having that fungicide on there to protect the seed in those wet conditions. Well, you're sure right. The seed treatment has paid big dividends this year, no doubt about that. Well, hey, it's been great yes, talking sir. to you, Luke. Uh, good luck here. Hopefully, well, I am i don't know. I hate to say hopefully it dries up for you, but it's July. <laughs> I'm happy you're getting some moisture, so you'll at least we get a too, good crop. That's the thing. <laughs> From uh, the end of April till the first or the middle of June, we had 24 inches of rain. You know, we had all oh, of our rainfall in uh, less than 60 days, so it was pretty crazy. <laughs> wow. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, hopefully you get good growing conditions from here on out. Uh, thanks a lot, Luke. Really Very appreciate good. talking to you. All right. Take care. Let's head over to Tennessee. We've got Eddie with us right now. Eddie, how's it going over there? Oh, pretty good. You guys catching this rain, too, or is it not over there yet? Uh, we've we've been getting rains off and on. Uh, afternoon thunderstorm sometimes. Uh, I think it's Friday afternoon. We've got two and a half inches in a matter of about an hour or so. Uh, wow. Those are not too beneficial, but they do kind of with corn uh, in the roast near stage. It's uh, it'll probably use a good bit of it at that stage anyway. Oh, that's for sure. And I, I was just thinking, you know, because you guys no till, right? You've been no tilling for a long time. Is this one of the reasons you do that? Is just to be able to withstand it when you get those big rains? Oh yeah, with our rolling land, and uh, I've been no tilling for thirty five years, a hundred percent, and. Uh, 
wish I'd have started before I did because I lost a lot of my topsoil back years ago when I first started farming and thought we had to till everything. But uh, we've been no tilling, of course, holding the moisture, and we're our topsoil's not not too thick anyway, so we need to retain what we can. And our organic matter has really increased over the years because of that. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, and you think about, uh, so you got corn that's that's at that stage where it's sucking in the moisture pretty fast. You've got a valuable crop there, and you seem to be ahead of the, <laughs> ahead of the ball game here. You're way ahead of what uh, the guys up in the Midwest are. How does the corn look? Do you give it uh, an excellent rating, or, or what would you rate your corn? Uh, yeah, excellent, uh, absolutely, because uh, – we was kind of like everybody else, but not to the extreme y'all were. We we planted our first corn on uh, April 3rd, and then it set into raining and didn't get back in the field till the 24th and, and finished up on the 28th. And uh, that corn is silking and tasseling now also. So uh, it's, it's really looking good right now, and we're calling for rain, possibility of rain for the next five days off and on, so... Uh, it'll use it. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, it's it's a tough trade-off. We really want the sunlight at that point, but, man, it's sure nice to get that moisture if you got a place to go with it. How about on your soybean crop? Did did you get some soybeans in then? I, I assume you didn't get any in until May. Uh, didn't. We were, uh, of course, finished up corn, jumped on beans. We planted, uh, I think it was May 8th. We got started and, and got some planted and then it went to raining and uh just not the extreme y'all went to but just kept things wet and finally dried up enough on the 18th that we was uh borderline too heavy but we went to planting and uh started planting on the 18th of may and planted till the 26th of may and it was 95 degrees and the wind blowing those days and it we lost our moisture and i quit planting on the 26th and waited for another rain because uh and it was a good thing i did and but we had hay to cut so we went to cutting hay we wasn't without a job so we went to cutting hay and got that cut and, and rolled and then uh got a got a pretty good rain and finished up bean planting on the 13th of june Okay. Yeah. It's, I know that's one of the things on the farm too. We were never without a job. <laughs> There's always something. And we thought it was just our dad was trying to keep us out of trouble, which I'm sure that was part of it. But, uh, that's, that's why you diversify. So you always get something that, uh, that a guy can be doing and, and you don't have all your eggs in one basket for profit and, and, uh, other things too. So no, I think, uh, I think you guys are in a great spot this year with, just an awesome corn crop coming in a year where it looks like prices might just continue to get better. Well, hey, Eddie, it's been great yeah, talking to you. Good luck. Uh, hopefully that crop finishes out as well as it started. I hope so. And I got one other thing that I might ought to whisper, but uh, to pleasantly surprise, of course, I was geared up for some Ooh, Ooh Ed, we're, uh, we're right up against a commercial here. Hang on. We'll catch you right after this. Stay tuned. No one has to explain stress to a farmer. That's like explaining a missed forecast to a weatherman. Now, Mother Nature stresses soybeans the way markets, bankers, and politics can stress you. But there's a proven way to reduce stress. With Preaxor fungicide, you'll see the difference. It decreases stress from disease, drought, hail, and heat, so your beans can focus on what matters most, better yields. 
Talk to your local rep about Preax or fungicide and BASF plant health. Always read and follow label directions. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm the fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Every farmer knows that in order to be profitable, you need to maximize the return on your crop input investments. Hi, I'm Scott Harms, an agrist specialist with Grain PhD. Without an effective and flexible strategy, your grain marketing plan gets stuck in the mud. With Grain PhD, you get the clarity and guidance a solid marketing plan needs. Our free GrainBridge software simplifies your cost-profit analysis, and our risk specialists are here to help you develop your plan. Sign up today at GrainPhD.com. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And just before the break, we were talking to Eddie down in Tennessee. And uh, Ed and Eddie had one more thing to say, and I, I ran into a commercial break there. Sorry about that, Eddie, but thanks for holding on. All right. Thank you, Darren. Uh, yeah, I was just saying that I was pleasantly surprised after, uh, of course, all of our early beans we've done sprayed and laid them by, and uh, they're canopied over. and. Uh, I was geared up and, and expecting to have to spray some dicamba on some uh, because of Palmer, but uh, for some reason I didn't have any this year. Now I, I guess my pre's really work well. <laughs> uh, well, you can start praying for our farm too, then, Eddie. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know that was one of those pleasant surprises that you're always willing to to take and thank the good Lord for because. By the time we went through all the meetings this past winter, I scared to death spray it anyway. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing. Uh, you just can't predict what nature's going to do. And we talk about it all the time with insects, too. And uh, Brian, right out of college, got a, got a job with a company that uh, – 
insecticides and uh, and knowing everything there is to know about bugs was a forte for that company. And they told Brian, you can just never predict. It looks like all the conditions are favoring, like in this case, Palmer. Oh, it should have been a great Palmer year. And for whatever reason, it didn't show up. So that's pretty cool. It might be the only time the rest of your life you can say that, Eddie. So enjoy it. All right. Thank you. And I appreciate everything y'all do. You bet. Thanks a lot. Uh, let's head up to New York. We got Ralph with us right now. Ralph, how are you doing? Good, Darren. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. So uh, did you get the crop in eventually? I know you guys had some of the same challenges we were fighting this year. Yeah, we got most of it. I think we're at 90% of the corn and 70 of the soybeans. So, you know, you you, you want to do it all, but sometimes just not possible. So I don't know. Here, here in New York, you know, we've got guys that are still planting corn. These dairy farmers have had it wow. so tough and, you know, they had to stop to make hay because when the alfalfa gets ready, you got to make it to keep the protein up, I guess. And they, they've gone back out to it. And we really, conditions are pretty good here right now. We, uh, matter of fact, we could probably use rain. So, Yeah, it's funny how that turns in, uh, in July when you finally start getting a little bit of heat. Uh, okay, so tell yeah. me about the, the early corn that went in then. I know we're hearing mixed reports around the country where some guys say, boy, the planting conditions weren't good enough and my early corn doesn't look good. And then other guys are saying, oh, my goodness, the early corn looks awesome. Yeah, we uh, rule of thumb here, we're heavy clay soils most of where we are, and you don't want to touch that stuff when it's wet. But a lot of guys, and us included, we planted into it. But we, I don't know what it was. It, this year's just completely out of whack because some of that corn that was mudded in looks really good. We had, I guess we had so much rain, it just kept it growing. And, and if we turn out dry, maybe then we'll start to look bad. But we, we have some that was planted the last week of May that's knee high already. So we're side dressing now with Super U. So it's looking pretty good with the early stuff or the, you know, the, the late early stuff. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so for our area, I don't know what it was about 2019, but it seems to be the year of dandelion, mare's tail, and for conventional till guys, giant ragweed. How about in your area? Have you had some weed outbreaks? You know, Darren, it's not bad. I don't. I, there's some wood here. I'm knocking on it. We uh, we don't have many weed problems at all. The the fields, everybody's fields look pretty clean. It's it's unbelievable. Maybe the rain held the weeds back or they germinated and drowned. We didn't see them, but, you know, it, it, things look really good that way. Well, that's that's good. That's good. I guess we were just talking to Eddie down in Tennessee, and he said he didn't have Palmer out in some of that early planted crop where he's really pumped up about that because that isn't the most fun yeah. uh most fun weed to try to control you know for for the guys uh, up in your area what what's going on right now out in fields that that uh is there anything unexpected or is it just kind of progressing like normal well just trying to do the best again there's a lot of hay being made now the timothy hay grass hays are being made there's side dressing going on some springs going on just uh it's finally gotten dry enough where people can go most places there's still a little bit of water laying in certain fields but you can go most places now and get the get the weeds killed if you have something, and then just get some lay-by sprays on and, and uh, make some good hay. So just got to keep hoping for the best, and we'll get a rain one of these days to make the super U work. That's our next fear. We'll turn dry, and we put this urea out there, and it won't ever get activated in the ground, but whatever. We'll deal with it. Well, maybe you'll get the same conditions we got. We were debating about, why well, do we put a uh, nitrate, inhib- or nitrate inhibitor with ours to – to 
protect our nitrogen as we were putting it out there. And we kind of debated about it a little bit because, well, you know, we've been getting rains, but it looks like it's going to be dry. So as soon as we spent the money on a stabilizer, boom, we got the rain right on the nitrogen yeah. almost immediately after we put it on. And Brian's like, dang. Yeah. Instead of saying thanks for the rain, you know, he was saying, why did we spend the money? Yeah, we did some things different this year. We were planning on putting the, the map fertilizers down last fall. And we were, we've been wet here since last September, so we couldn't do it in the fall. And then we were going to do it in the spring. Well, with the spring, we gave up on that. We figured with the days we can get in the field, we better be planting. So most of our corn didn't get anything in a, in a phosphorus or potash at planting time. Wow. So we put just straight liquid in down through the planter. And that corn has just been growing like crazy. Now, maybe we'll run out of some nutrients later in the summer, but we, we usually try to put three times we'll put in on. We'll uh, super you it knee high, and then we'll come back with some wide drops later on, depending on what the corn needs. But, you know, for, for not doing everything right this year, corn crops here in New York look pretty good. That's fantastic. Yeah, and you get all the dairy guys, too, that probably had the same challenges they had in our area. Couldn't get the manure out in the fall, and uh, a lot of that got put out in some questionable conditions this spring. But for whatever reason, it looks pretty good this year. Yep. Well, Ralph, good talking to you here. Hopefully uh, hopefully you catch some timely rain up there to keep this crop rolling. We hope so, too. It's going to be a good year to have something. So You bet. Talk to you later. You bet. Thanks. Uh, I've got Rick with us right now down in Iowa. Rick, how's it going? Good. You guys? Well, we're doing pretty well. The the crop, I I don't know. It For as rough as it looked early on, it looks pretty good right now. How about for yeah, you guys? Think, yeah, we've we've camouflaged a lot of the bad spots. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. The crop's gotten big enough along the road to hide some of those drown-out spots just, out there. You just don't want to look too close to corn. The beans, unfortunately, we can still see the spots in, but uh, you you get the selective vision when you're going by your field. So Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Is it just the pockets in the fields, or is it a general overall poor stand? We have everything. We have corn that's, oh, three, four leaves from tassel to stuff that isn't going to make knee-high by the 4th of July. We have beans that are, you know, getting close to shading in 15-inch rows to beans just coming up. I mean, it is a real true hodgepodge of everything around here wow well one thing for sure you know harvest will be spread out a little bit so i guess maybe there'll be a positive at the end of this but we definitely need some heat to get there did you shorten up maturities a lot or or did you kind of stick with your first plan uh we got the corn planted personally we got the corn planted well we were done in april so that was no problem awesome. the beans scattered out over a six-week period so you know, you'd plant for half a day and you'd get rained out. You'd plant for three or four hours and it was just, it was just miserable. Yeah. I had a lot of guys say, this is no fun farming this way. I want to go back to <laughs> go back to planting fields end to end and, and just rolling. Yeah. But we're, we're fairly, we're pretty blessed in our general area. I mean, you know, being able to get in when we did versus guys in other places that sat and couldn't do anything so you know we shouldn't complain but you know we're farmers too wet too cold too hot. Too <laughs> I, I know it could always it could always be better there's no doubt about yeah. that how about the weed control did the pre's hold up were guys able to get that out i know a lot of guys in areas like yours where it just seemed to rain every other day it was just a struggle trying to get those pre's out too um you know there again a little bit of everything i i had my pre's all on and you know i got done with corn i got the bean ground sprayed I just didn't get it planted for six weeks. So 
um, spraying beans post this year, um, Minor All Liberty or GT27s, it's been a real, you know, I've sprayed parts of fields where the weed pressure, you know, you've got water hemp out there that are getting a foot tall and the beans that are three inches tall. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it's kind of all over the place. Yeah, it's going to be going to be an interesting year all the way through, that's for sure. Well, Rick, thank you so much. Really appreciate talking to you here, and good luck the rest of the way. All right, thanks, guys. Yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting looking crops out there, that's for sure. We'll get back uh, talking about more agronomic things that are happening in the fields today, right after this. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. You got in the field. Well done. That wasn't an easy task this year. Now give your corn everything it needs to get the job done this season. At Side Dress, adding agro liquid nutrients to your nitrogen can economically and efficiently boost potential. It's not too late to supply the nitrogen, potassium, sulfur, and boron your corn needs to reach top yields. We can help you develop a successful nutrition program for your corn. To learn more, visit agroliquid.com. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Foliar sprays are only effective if you can get applied product into the plant. Nutex EDA is a micronutrient-based additive that delivers the foliar absorption boost you've been looking for. Nutex EDA supports rapid penetration and translocation of both nutrients and systemic crop protection within plants. Research trials have shown a 10 to 20% increase in nutrient absorption and higher tissue levels for a longer period, resulting in higher yields. Use Nutex EDA this season with all your foliar applications. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic pesticides from Atticus, LLC. Atticus offers a vast portfolio of branded generic fungicides, herbicides, and insecticides for row crops. Atticus puts grassroots experience and common sense logic to work to make product selection easier and on your terms. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. 
We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're going to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag here. John uh, from near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, sent a picture. And first of all, picture's awesome. He's, this is his nephew, Brian, walking out in, in some of the oat fields with him. Uh, that is some pretty tall oats out there. That's that's pretty fantastic looking. Uh, John said, I just wanted to drop you a line. First of all, I want to say thanks. Uh, I put in some oats. Uh, so I'd have time in August and September to do some much-needed field improvements out there. That's awesome. Good good strategy. He said, I put this crop in with your help, your ideas, and your knowledge. Thanks so much uh, for all the recommendations. Uh, it was great talking with Phil Needham, too. He had, he had some great ideas for me. Uh, he said, I've got I had some strong storms and heavy rains, and I've had zero crop lodging out in the oats. That That's really good, John. Uh, yeah, you got things balanced out pretty well when you're in that situation. He said, I really appreciated your recommendation for wide match herbicide. That worked great for my weeds. I have very clean fields. That's good to hear. Uh, and he, he said, I got a question for you. Should I be applying a fungicide with when, or should I have put it on with my herbicide pass? The crop was uh, just about a week away from the boot stage and starting to see a little bit of rust in the area. Wondering what fungicide you would recommend for next time. Uh, I like the idea of using multiple modes of action. I don't blame you for that. I like that idea too, John. Okay, uh, oat fungicides. There are many that are labeled, including Caramba, Twinline, Tilt, Proline, Presaro, Stratego. I know here in our own state, South Dakota State University has some really compelling data with Stratego on oats with some big yield gains. Uh, the best timing is usually flag leaf if you're only going to spray once, but obviously if you're starting to see disease in there, you've got to get it taken care of. And I would just say, too, moving forward, all small grains are, in my opinion, terrible on disease, in part because think of the environment. I mean, when you've got so many plants, it's trapping moisture there. It is an environment that is just ripe for disease. So I just feel like you need to be out in front of that. So we'd really encourage, and you can go low rates when you're spraying early, but when you're out there at herbicide timing in almost any small grain crop, that's the time to start on fungicide, and then you can do another treatment at flag leaf. But anyway, yeah, there are a lot of products that are labeled in oats, not quite as many as on wheat, but a lot of pro a lot of fungicides that are labeled in oats. All right, thanks for the question. Good luck, uh, good luck with that fungicide app, John. Uh, I got one from Jason here, and he said, uh, I hear you guys talk about MegaGrow from time to time, and, and just looking it up online, trying to find it. I, I see one company mentioned is CH Biotech, another one is LT Biosyn. Are they different? Is that the same? Wondering which uh, MegaGrow manufacturer you use. Yeah, it's the same thing. The, um, the guy that, that developed MegaGrow, he's one of the leading people in the entire world when it comes to plant growth hormones. Denny Ng is his name. Uh, he's he's an interesting character. Darren's been to his place over in Taiwan. Uh, does a tremendous amount of research over there. But yeah, you may never have heard of this individual, but and he he's is fine with that. Yeah, he's phenomenal. But anyway, uh, he's got a number of different companies, so there might be uh, multiple names on that or it's changed over the years. But anyway, this MegaGrow is a combination of IBA and cytokinin, and it is the only patented safener for Roundup. 
on Roundup Ready crops. So if you've seen that yellow flash in Roundup Ready crops before, which if you've sprayed Roundup on Roundup Ready crops, I know you have, but MegaGrow will help reduce that issue. Once we started using MegaGrow, yellow flash went away, and that obviously translated to yield. Yeah, thanks for the question, Jason. Uh, I got one from Jake, and he said, I'm in Illinois, and in here, or in East Central Illinois. He said, we're already seeing Japanese beetles, and I've got some questions. I'm wondering if farmers should be more concerned than a normal year. He said, normally, we don't see Japanese beetles attacking the smaller beans. They go into larger ones, which have tons of leaves. Not a huge deal until the population gets big. But with these smaller beans, will the beetles do more damage on them? I'm wondering what your thought of that is. And also, uh, with this timeline that they're hitting us now, we're going to have corn silking. And that's that's very concerning with me, too. Yep. And then finally, if we're out doing something for them, should we also be considering fungicides? It's been wet and cool. Now it's turned hot, humid, and wet. I'm just wondering uh, with the small root systems we have, if that makes this even more dire. <laughs> okay, lots of questions there. Let me start with this. Just simply leaf feeding, the earlier you are in the season, the less problem that that, that usually causes. So look at the hail charts, for example. When you get hail early in the season, it's a lot less of a problem than if you get it later in the season and have the exact same amount of leaf loss. Yeah, okay? but, 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 but. Now you're talking is, small crop. The problem yeah. is, Brian, our crop is small much later in the season. So we're yep. like, wow, we need that leaf area yeah. to catch sunlight to try to nope. get going here. I'm not worried about it. Uh, but, I mean, for the data. For me, I'm thinking my, no, my threshold for bugs is less. I, I, no, I'm going to trust the data, but that's so only one component of it. For hold, two up, bucks. hold up, that's only you, you, yeah. Just hang on. I'm, I'm just saying, leaf damage is less earlier. Okay, so that's the first point. The second point is, earlier on, you have more chance to get disease. So if disease does get in, the earlier the disease comes, the more that hurts yield. Now, are you going to get disease or not? That I don't know. The third thing is you've got to look at crop prices. As crop prices are, in my opinion, exploding and they're going to go higher. I, I mean, I am 100% convinced corn and soybean prices are going up. So if I'm not saying I'm right, but if you believe the same thing I believe, then your thresholds have to go down because the thresholds are not just thresholds. They are economic thresholds. So when we have dirt cheap insecticide prices to Darren's point, two bucks. Okay. If it's going to cost you $2 for the insecticide, then yes, obviously I don't have a lot invested there and now my crop's worth a lot more. So it's going to take fewer bugs for me to justify treatment. The other two factors that are, that can get thrown in here is number one, do you have any other bugs out there? Because that's going to lower the threshold even more. And then two, can you, and should you put other things in there? So on our farm, we're going to be going out spraying fungicide here soon, like in just the next few days on corn. Okay, If I'm already out there spraying, then in effect, my threshold goes down because, well, I had to figure $2 for the insecticide. I also had to figure the cost of my trip before. Well, I'm already out there spraying fungicide, so I have zero cost for the trip toward the insecticide. You see what I mean? All my cost is on the fungicide. I can totally justify that. Everything's good. So I just simply look at, do I have enough bugs to justify a $2 insecticide treatment? It doesn't take very many. So am I spraying? Odds are pretty high. I am if I'm seeing quite a few Japanese beetles. 
Then when you get to soybeans, um, you know, I mean, it's a little early for me to spray fungicide right now. Uh, just depends if I'm worried about white mold or if I'm not. If I was trying to get by with one shot of fungicide, I like spraying it R2 or R3. So full flower to first pod. But if I'm worried about white mold and some of the very early diseases, then yeah, I'm probably spraying fungicide too. The other things that I'm throwing in there on our farm, we're going to spray some foliar fertilizer. We are also going to throw in, uh, we're trying a couple different biologicals, just experimenting on some of the acres, but we wanted to get that out anyway, so that's going in there. On the soybean end of things, you could spray a herbicide as well. It might just be volunteer corn, might just be Roundup, but it could be something else too. So I'm just trying to say you can combine several different things here, cuts your cost down, you know, when you start figuring about uh, figuring out on the trip end of things, and you can justify that treatment a lot easier. But yes, I'm very concerned about Japanese beetles, and to specifically answer the question, my threshold's going to be lower this year. But the reason why isn't necessarily about the late planting or the timing or anything else. My reason why is because the crop is worth more, and I believe it's going to be worth a lot more. All right. Well, thanks for the questions, Jake. I really appreciate that. And, and yeah, you got to be thinking about that each year, how it's different. And I loved that Jake kind of framed things up that way, too, of, hey, this year is different. Because too often we get stuck in this rut of, well, here's how I always do it. And we do need to consider, you know, conditions have been a little bit different here. I need to need to think about this independently from what I normally would. Get back to more of your questions right after this. Stay tuned. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. What if you could protect your soybean plants and reduce yield loss from white mold? Cobra Herbicide can help you jumpstart the natural defenses in your soybean crop against the heavy yield loss white mold can cause. This season's wet weather, cool temperatures, high humidity, and moist soil are prime conditions for white mold. And Cobra is a cost-effective way for you to help protect your soybeans. Apply now to jumpstart your fight against white mold with Cobra Herbicide. Visit your local retailer today to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Hey, Bill, 
any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2 Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grayson Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Grayson Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit leavetheweedstous.com to learn more about Grayson Next. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Getting to some of the Ag PhD mailbag questions here from this week that we hadn't got to yet. One from Matt here I think is interesting. He said, I'm in central Pennsylvania. Uh, I've got some 80-day seed corn, and I can either uh, use it for silage or high-moisture shell corn. But my question is, am I too late to plant it? Because if I don't plant this, I can still switch over to buckwheat. I'm just wondering if you think the corn will make it. That's a great question, Matt. I think there's a lot of guys wondering if the corn's going to make it this year. Yeah, so one of the things you can do, the University of Illinois has a really good website. If you go to mrcc.illinois.edu, then you can find this. Let's see, it's a u2u.gdd is the site. But anyway, it's really good in terms of putting your location, your local area, the date you want to plant, how many days that corn maturity is, and it's going to show you what do I actually need for growing degree days. Uh, what do I normally get? When's my When are all my frost dates? It's got all this stuff plugged in there, so it's awesome. I would just simply go to that website and check that out. All right, got a question. This came in from TNG. Uh, I was watching a segment that you guys did on hybrid versus inbred corn, and I'm wondering how can the home gardener who doesn't have space to grow thousands of corn plants avoid inbreeding the corn? This is something a little different than what we're talking about. Maybe we weren't clear right. on our, right. our video. Right. Uh, it, it's not about, uh, hey, the, the tassels on that corn plant are going to pollinate the silks in that plant. So we fully expect that to do to do that. It's just what happened in the breeding process to get you that seed that you're putting in the ground. So you don't have to worry about that at all. Uh, you've, you've got hybrid corn that you're using. And yes, each plant there is... I get it. You say you have two plants. Those two plants are going to shed all the pollen probably that your ears are going to have. And that's totally fine. Not going to hurt you one bit. Okay. I uh, got another one. This one's from Michael. Michael says, I have pigweed in my vegetable garden. I've got green beans, carrots, peas, and sweet corn. What can I do to control pigweed? It's growing quickly. Can we just talk about that? We we did we did have a, we had a similar one yes uh, with somebody that was using metolachlor and they said in their sweet corn area they, the metolachlor was doing a really nice job 
uh, but they, they wanted to know if they could do something different in the other crops. And in those other crops you've got listed there, I believe trifluralin uh, in the brand name Preen, P-R-E-E-N, is labeled in those crops. That would be a good pre-emerge herbicide to put out there up front. It has soil residual control, so it catches those pigweeds as they germinate. Once they're up, it gets to be a lot more challenging. And in a garden, a lot of times you either just hand pull them or if you've got a little squirt bottle with some Roundup, you could just spray individual weeds if if that's easier for you. Uh, I know some people will do cultivation in between the rows, which you are going to clip off some of those roots uh, of your desirable plants. So that's one that you got to be a little cautious with. The other thing that we see a lot of people doing is using mulch or putting uh, plastic down in between the rows so those weeds don't get any sunlight uh, and you kind of choke them out that way. So there's a few different things that, that you could do. I would recommend starting with those pre-emerge herbicides. They're not going to hurt your crop, and they are going to do a number on uh, some small-seeded broadleaves like pigweed and also on grasses that come up in between the rows. Thanks for the question, Mike. really appreciate that, and good luck on the garden. I uh, got one... Um, from HH, uh, we were talking about foliar fertilizer recently on television, and he's wondering, why do you want the water pH down to 5 to 6? Is the absorption better? I haven't heard this before. This is interesting. I'm just curious what more info you could share. Go ahead. Okay. Um, you know, this is this is one of the things that, yeah, as, as we look at different products that you're putting out there on your crop, whether it's a herbicide or a fungicide or a foliar fertilizer, like your question, what water pH is going to work well? Now, I know like with many of the, the herbicides and chemistry type solutions that they're calling for a lower water pH in many cases because they're trying to avoid a chemical tie-up with hard water ions and, and different things that are in your water. Uh, with some products, they want a higher pH. Uh, so they don't want you putting in ammonium sulfate or something like that. They, they want the water pH to stay higher because otherwise in acids, they, they will tie up. So it depends on which products you're putting out there. What we've seen with, with plant nutrients, if you're putting foliar feeding out there, uh, as you go down... Uh, the plant and just test the pH as you're moving down the plant. So uh, if you've got a, a pH tester, you could take parts of the plant uh, and, and move on down. We see a lower pH as we move down the plant. And the idea behind having a lower pH with nutrients is we're trying to get into that plant. So we want to be a similar pH to what the plant is at that area. And it's generally more easily taken in. And what we've seen with, with tissue testing is if we're doing something to adjust that pH down, because our natural water pH in our area out of our well is 8. Well, if we go out with that 8 pH, we have not the greatest results. If we acidify that water and get it down into the 5 to 6 range, all of a sudden we're getting more uptake, we're seeing more nutrients show up on our plant tissue tests, and we're getting better response. So that's that's why we've been doing that and comparing notes with farmers literally around the world. The guys that are really watching that pH would, would I would say in most cases, tell you if you're putting a foliar fertilizer out there, get down into that 5 to 6 range. The other thing that we're seeing a lot, which isn't part of your question, but I want to add this on, is if you're spraying any of the, the 
beneficial microbes or, or biological or natural type products. If you're putting a, a fungus or a bacteria or something like that in with that solution, then you want to watch out for chlorine. And we see a lot of farmers using um, either city water or rural water systems that, that have been chlorinated. And you need to put something in there to negate that chlorine. Otherwise, the chlorine is going to do its job. It's going to kill microbes. And if you're using chlorinated water, anytime you're putting microbes out there, wow, you, the, the clock is ticking. And the longer that water takes before it gets applied, even if it's an hour, uh, you're going to lose a lot of your microbes. So just want to watch out for that as well. Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Got one from Scott here. He said, I'm in South Central Texas, and i uh, really enjoying your show. I'm new to farming, but I'm working to bring a dormant field back into production. My problem is uh, I want to be planting uh, improved grasses for hay and grazing, but I've got a lot of Johnson grass out there. Uh, what do you know about Johnson grass? How do you control the stuff? And, uh, and how do I move forward with a successful hay and grazing crop? Hey, Scott, thank you so much. Really appreciate the question. Yeah, Johnson grass is one, fortunately, where we farm, we don't have to fight. And I'm sure glad of that because everybody that talks about it says this one is a major, major issue, uh, robbing yield and spreading quickly. Uh, Brian, wh where do you start with Johnson grass? If you don't have that crop planted, uh, then you could go out and kill the Johnson grass with a non-selective herbicide. If Roundup is still effective, great. If not, you could use Gramoxone or maybe Liberty, something like that. That's a non-selective herbicide to try and take it out. Well, yeah, but I mean, Gramoxone isn't going to do a very good job. All it's going to well, do gonna is burn, burn the, to top the ground. Off. Yeah, right. So that didn't really control it at all. Uh, it, it makes it look better for a couple of weeks, but that's about it. So. I, I mean, here's here's the thing. He said in pastures, right? Hay and grazing, yep. Yeah. So why don't you just graze the Johnson grass? Do I want you to do that? Not really. But could you do that? Yes, you could. So it's not something where you have to get rid of it. But, um, I mean, that is that is something that people, some people will do. Okay, now if, if we want to talk about herbicides... There's Pastora out there, Plateau, Outrider. Um, I mean, there are some options. So you just have to take a look at that. Um, yeah, depending on what kind of desirable grass you right. wanted to plant in there. Exactly. And so you do have some herbicide options. The other thing is just cultural practices. Don't graze it down too low, because if you do, then Johnson grass really takes yep. over. So so use rotational grazing to just let uh, the livestock graze part of the pasture at a time. The other thing with haying uh, is you want to really watch fertility. So you want to make sure you've got uh, plenty of fertility that that crop needs. Do soil sampling. We'd recommend grid soil sampling. And then do some plant tissue analysis, too, just to see, hey, am I getting nutrients into that crop? Because if you are, you're going to have thick, lush growth, and that's going to choke out weeds as well. So you can try to attack it uh, on a number of different fronts. And honestly, with Johnson grass, that's exactly what I do. I'd use herbicides, I'd use fertility, uh, and I would, would plan my grazing and haying to allow for maximum grass growth to compete against that Johnson grass. Thanks for the question, and thanks for watching the show. I really appreciate that, Scott. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.